Today we're going to talk about the concept of engaging the battle with understanding. You've got to understand the battle. And so let's go ahead and stand and read the Word of God together. We're going to be uh, Ephesians 6, 11 through 12. Let's stand and with loud voices, uh, let's declare the Word of the Lord. So go to, yeah, go to Ephesians 6, 11 through 12. So if you guys just have it on your devices. We'll be reading if you have, by this time, hopefully you have the Christian Standard Bible, because um, we'll, we'll be reading in unison from the Christian Standard Bible. One, two, three. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the thousand powers and the darkness. Yeah, a spiritual tattoo that we want to zoom in on is we overcome by putting on Jesus Christ's battle armor. We overcome by putting on Jesus Christ's battle armor. Father, thank you for your word. May this your word be clear. God, there's a lot of rich truth. Um, in this text, and I pray, Lord, that you give me the grace to make it so clear, Holy Spirit. Give me the grace and the power to make preaching easy. Um, Lord, I pray that you would surface some of the different areas of our life that need uh, kind of a, a spiritual makeover, a reformation, uh, a encouragement, conviction, comfort. Lord, may your word serve that purpose to accomplish exactly what you intend your word to accomplish, not what I intend to accomplish with your word, with my opinion, but what you intend to accomplish with your word, what your Holy Spirit is speaking to Epiphany LA for today. God, help us to hear you clearly in the midst of all the clutter and the doctrines of demons that are out there and hit us every day. God, equip us to see and know the truth of who you are, Lord Jesus. And how you have made the Father known. So we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So sometimes, you guys ever been in situations where you feel like you walk into a situation and you think you're told something's going to happen, but something else happens that you didn't expect coming, but they're intending to do that anyways, and you feel bamboozled? Yeah, like right, you, you, you're told this is what it's going to be like, but you go and, and this thing happens and you're like, wait, hold up. No one told me that you were going to ask for money. <laughs> right? It's like a popular thing where T.I., that big thing he was doing, he was bamboozled. He didn't expect some things, right, at, at one of these. And so, so we all have a moment of being bamboozled, right? If you didn't catch that, T.I., don't worry about it. If you, we all have a moment of being bamboozled, right? And I think what happens oftentimes in our Christian walks, we're bamboozled. Because we walk into the battle, and we're not battle ready. And so we're like, hold up. This is what the Christian life is supposed to be like? I thought it was going to be easy. I thought God would give me everything that I wanted. And we feel bamboozled. And oftentimes it's not rooted in proper expectations. And so as we get into understanding the battle, uh, we need to begin in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Okay, so go to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We got to understand because here's what Paul is telling a young church. Y'all, we are still a young church plant. And God is growing us and we're developing, and he's bringing some depth, but we have areas to continue to grow. And so we are very similar. We can relate to the church of Ephesus, where people from all different backgrounds come together and saying, Jesus, what do you want to do? What do you, that's something we should be asking every single day. Jesus, at Epiphany LA, what do you want to do? What do you want to do in my life today? What do you want to do in work today? We're asking, what do you want to do? Be my directive. And so here's what he, he gets in. And because he says, he says, look, to this early church, he says, let me, un help me, uh, let me help you understand what's going on in the battle so you don't feel bamboozled. So look at chapter 3. Here's what he says. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, okay, hold on to that, the ways of this world, this world, 
according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedience. We too all previously lived among them in our what? Fleshly desires. Carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as, as the others were also. So he says, look at this. He's laying out three key aspects of the warfare and the battle. He says, here's the thing. First one, he says, look. He says, the first one is the world. Then you have the devil, and then you have the flesh. All right? Let me just break down. we got to understand some of these. What is this? I want to look at Clinton Arnold talks about and helps us to see a little bit about what he would call a three-stranded rope. See, the thing you got to understand about the flesh, the devil, and the world is there are three strands that are together, knitted together, in opposition to God's people and God's purpose. Okay? So they, they're three, so they, they, they're not necessarily these very separate things that never interact together, but they're three strands together that are inseparable in how they interact and engage opposition to the people of God and God's purpose. Okay, does that make sense? So let me break this down real quick. Look at for the flesh. So here's what Clinton Arnold says. I just want to read this real quick here. He says, the flesh is the inner propensity or inclination to do evil. It is the part of our creatureliness tainted by the fall that remains with us until the day we die. Does the flesh ever leave? No. It remains with you until the day you die. It is our continuing connection to this present evil age, which is destined to perish, but against which we must struggle now. Okay? As Christians, however, we are new creatures, and the compelling influences of the flesh has been broken by Christ's death on the cross, nevertheless, this inner compulsion continually seeks to reassert its claim, and we can only resist it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? All right, let's look at the world here. The world is the unhealthy social environment in which we live. This includes the ungodly aspects of culture, peer pressure, values, traditions, what is in, what is uncool, customs, philosophies, and attitudes. The world represents the prevailing worldview assumptions of the day that stand contrary to the biblical understanding of reality and the biblical values, okay? Contrary to the biblical values. Our culture has an incredibly profound influence on the way we think and act, amen? Okay? What we feed is what we begin to integrate into the fabric of our mentality and our well-being, Right? It provides us with the complete script for how we conduct our lives, what we do when we get sick, how we act toward the opposite sex, how we spend our money, what we pursue in life, what we think about people who are different than us, and so on. And so this is part of the world, right? It, it, it's, it's a system, a fabric of thinking. It's a worldview. It's, it's if, you put, if you take on some glasses and put them on, I can see differently now. I see you through my 2020 vision because of this. But if I put on different glasses that have a different color, it would shape the way that I see y'all right now. So the world is coming and trying to bombard, teaching you how you should view life. That will, that will impact how you live your rhythms, okay? So that's the world coming at us. Then you got the devil is an intelligent, powerful spirit being that is thoroughly evil and is directly involved in perpetuate, perpetuating, perpetuating, what? Perpetuating. Oh, man. Thank you, Andrew. I don't know why I can't get that right now. I'm going to keep reading evil in the lives of individuals as well as on a much larger scale. He is not an abstraction. Did y'all know that? The devil is not an abstraction. Okay? He's not an abstraction either as a personification of the inner corrupt self or in this sense of symbolic representation of organized social evil. Paul describes him as the spirit, as we saw in Ephesians, who has work in those who are disobedient. For the apostle, the disobedient are those who have not responded to God's revelation in the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil or Satan is portrayed as somehow powerfully at work in their lives, presumably not only inciting sin, but keeping them from responding to the message and mercy and grace of Christ. Did you hear that? Did you see that? 
Sometimes people have a hard time making the move of trusting Jesus because there's demonic, devilish strongholds. Isn't that crazy? The early church addresses that a lot. It's real interesting, and we'll get, that, that's some stuff for a side conversation. But Paul also reveals that Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. This suggests his role as the leader of a host of other powerful spirits who assist him in carrying out his designs. Flesh, world, devil, Satan. Make sense? All these things are coming at us full force. So you can imagine, if we're not getting battle ready to understand how to engage these three strands that are strong rope coming at you all the time, then how easy it would be to be bamboozled and get thrown off living victorious life as an overcomer. Okay? So he says, we face this, but here's the good news. Look at, look at chapter 2. Here goes the memory verse. But God, in verse 4. This is the good thing about it. You have all these things coming at you, but God. Okay, like that. Don't ever lose that, but God in your life. You got to have some but God moments when you feel like everything is caving in on you. You got to have some but God moments when you're in despair and don't know what to do with life. You got to have some but God moments. And here's what Paul is saying. But God, he summarizes and says what he says. He's saying through this is when you trust Christ, it is a conversion. You're taken from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Isn't that good news? You're taken from the domain of darkness where you were entrapped. There was nothing we could do to get out of that trap. But God, who came in, in other words, he says, he says this happens not because you went to church or were simply baptized in the church when you were young. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen because you speak in tongues all of a sudden now, now you're somehow in. Right? It doesn't, it's not even the, simply the fact that you did a whole bunch of good things. The, the but God is not saying, well, if you do enough, then God will ask. It's not a then God. It's a but God. When we were trapped, but God. When we were feeling bamboozled, but God steps in and does stuff. And it's because all of these things, if we try to let these things, these good deeds and stuff, that if I can only do enough work, if I can only get enough stuff on my resume, then maybe God will have favor on me. Maybe God will then love me. Maybe God will forgive me. Maybe God will accept me into his family as a son or a daughter. And he says all of these are dead attempts for a dead person to bring themselves back from the grave. If you're dead, there ain't nothing you can do. If you've seen a dead corpse, which is sad and horrific, you know that person can't do anything to revive themselves. This is the reality. He's saying we, we were so in bondage. Only the but God can do something about it. And it's done, it's done through recognition that says, you know what? A but God is experienced when we recognize that I need God. I've sinned. I'm broken. I don't have what it takes. I can't get myself out of this situation, right? And it's only by confessing this reality and turning to put my faith completely not in the other things that I say, then God, this, then God will work. He say, no, I got to squash the then God equation of being right with God. And I got to say, I need you, Jesus. I'm a broken sinner. I've been trapped up in this forever and ever on the side. That's what's so so cool about even Kanye's album right now. There's something, we gotta pray for it. There's something that Jesus has done. That means we don't know, we pray like in all of our lives, but, but the but God does something in you, right? Like we begin to recognize, even though I grew up around the church, I didn't know Jesus. I knew about him, but I didn't come from the point of saying the then God, to the but God, I need you, Lord. I turn from this hope. I'm turning to you, Jesus, because you and you alone can forgive me. On your merit, your perfect life, your substitutionary death that took my place, your resurrection, only that gospel can actually deliver me. Does that make sense? Church, we got to know that. 
That is the foundation of everything we do is we have to go from a then God to a realization of a, I need a but God. That is the foundation to understand how we begin to engage this battle. He says you're not only forgiven when you experience the but God, but you are set free from the bondage of the flesh's control. The, the dominion of darkness and Satan and all his devils. And you don't have to be conformed to the patterns of the world anymore. Isn't that good news? The but God did all that. And so with the flesh, here's what he said. When you experience the but God, he says, look, you can begin to put, the death, put to death the works of the flesh by your own strength, by the Spirit you got to put those to death by the Spirit, Romans 8.13. The world. Jesus says, I overcame the world. Jesus gives us a peace in the chaotic world and the grace to overcome the patterns of the world through the Word of God. Romans 12. And then Satan, his demons, Jesus disarmed them. The demonic realm and the territorial spirits. And we've talked about in Psalm 82, right? So you have this sense as he disarmed, we submit to God's sovereignty and we can resist the devil. Make sense? So the but God empowered us to engage these three areas of life. Because here's the thing, he says, the natural flow of a Christ follower is not experience the but God and then you figure out life on your own. You create your own schedule. You do all these things, like, like, I'm not saying don't, I'm not talking about stewardship, but what I'm talking about is, God, you did the but God, I got all this life now. That's functional deism. God came down and he wound up the clock and he says, go ahead, humans, you guys do everything you want and you don't have to be under my reign and you have to, you have to figure it out on your own. See, that's not, he said that's not part of the but God. Part of the but God says that the natural outgrowth of a believer or a Christ follower is growth. All right. It, it's 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 and it's interesting is that as the Christ follower is growing on a specific spiritual trajectory, that what Daryl Bach says in his commentary prevents the devil's successes. You see, I, I think that's a that's a we got to get we got to hone in on that is that the greatest way to fight spiritual warfare and get battle ready is learning how to grow on the trajectory Jesus has you on to experience the victory against this threefold rope. And that's how the dominion of darkness is pushed back by the dominion of light. The greatest spiritual warfare is people of God actually walking with Jesus. Does that make sense? It's not... Let's do our own thing and create our own way of fighting spiritual warfare. No, no, no. It's saying we need to become more like Jesus. And so there is a, there's a, uh, the greater act is that we would be on this natural trajectory of a believer over time. So you begin, he says in, uh, remember chapter one through three is living in your union with Christ. Chapter four through six is what? Living out your union with Christ. So he says, here's the thing. He lays out when you begin, when you experience the but God, you begin to grow in your passions that begin to look like this. Here's what he says. And there's so many of these Ephesians, we can't cover them all. But watch what he says. He says, you begin to become passionate about things like maintaining the unity that the Spirit has produced among God's people. You don't just make decisions on individual preferences and comfort and conveniences. Does that make sense? Like, like, we have to be very careful about, like, the ways of the world in America and the West, and we feel it heavy in L.A., is individualism. I'm my boss. We're going to talk about that. I make my decisions based on what I prefer. But do we ask the question, what does Jesus have to do with this? What, what is Jesus doing with this? How is he changing me in this process. So he says, are we maintaining the unity that the Spirit has produced among God's people through union with Christ? We're thinking about others and what God desires to build. But then he says, also, we're using our gifts to build up the body. Right? That's not an option. Church is a church plant. It's not an option if we use our gifts or not. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's not an option. Like it, is, it is a command that God has said, I gave you gifts not to be stewarded for your own purpose. I know this is hard, 
But this is what Ephesians says. The way that you're going to start fighting the battle and winning these is start putting your gifts to work. Get them active. And then he says, also he says, speak the truth in love. And then he says, grow in every way into him who is the head. Not into your own agenda, but into Christ who is the head. And he says, and take off the former sinful ways of your life. All that stuff you used to do, take it off. And start putting on, he says, the new self, which is created to, according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. And then he says, put away lying. And he says, following that up, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor. Notice he doesn't say, speak your own truth. Does that make sense? Right? We, got our, we all have our own versions of the truth. And God is saying, I need you to learn the truth so you can speak the truth of God's word to one another. That thing is going to be, because God's truth is that what you need to speak. See, we all have our opinions and we insert ourselves into the places of subtle, subtly saying, I should be the one doing this or it should go this way. And we have a hard time getting down and saying, God, what is your truth? What is your truth in this situation that I need to engage? And he goes down, he says, he says be angry and do not sin. No longer steal, but work it to have something to offer to help the body. Let no foul words come from your mouth, but words that build up others. My goodness, that's probably the hardest one. Do, do I engage in foul words? Defiling, slanderous, gossipy words. That's, that's a trap of the enemy, right? And he's saying, he's saying no, 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 I, I'm, I have Christ's strength to not have to do that. And he says, be imitators of God. Walk in love. Let no sexual immorality, nor impurity, nor greed should be heard among you. Filthy talk is not suitable, but rather giving thanks. Test what is pleasing to the Lord. Do we test what is pleasing to the Lord? And then he says, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedience. Live as children of light. Does our life imitate the light? Is there, is there what, what, how are we engaging walking in the light? One of the greatest things to walk in, with Jesus and expand his kingdom is simply have no rooms that are off limits. <laughs> That's where the enemy starts to wreak havoc. If you're like, you can, Jesus, you can have all rooms except this one. That's where you start getting some craziness happening up in your life. Right? And the way that, and you can tell is if I got, got, it's like one is like, can I trust Jesus to actually go into that room and bring healing and deliverance? And the way that you begin to trust him is then you, over time, can take a step and begin to talk about that room with someone else in the church. And I'm telling you, if we don't get these others right, then we don't handle that precious moment well. And then we use it for our purpose. Cults use the confession of sin and brokenness for manipulation. The church never should. Because we steward it with the gospel, not our agenda. Does that make sense? we got to begin to do that together as a community and, and know that it's a safe place to be able to do that. And here's what he says, because he says, to remain in darkness or let areas of your life remain in darkness is not the normal trajectory of a believer. It's kind of like this. How many of y'all see Shawshank Redemption? Classic movie. So it's interesting. So in Shawshank Redemption, Morgan, Morgan Freeman's character has pretty much been institutionalized in prison. He's been in there for so long that he's coped with living in prison the way you have to cope with living in prison. You have to respond. You have to do it this way. You can't go to the bathroom by yourself. You, like there are things you just, he's like, I just couldn't do by myself. So when Morgan Freeman's character gets out of prison and he's free, he's free from prison but he's in bondage to an institutionalized mentality that didn't let him live in the fullness of his freedom. Because he was still going back to some old coping mechanisms to make sense of life in his freedom. And I think sometimes what we do is God is like, I, for freedom I set you free, Paul says in church in Galatia, right? I set you free to be free. But what happens is that if we get bamboozled by the difficulties of life and we don't know the victorious dynamic of living, we then go back to these other coping mechanisms. And they're not rooted in trusting in Christ's freedom. 
They're not rooted in forgiveness in Christ. They're not rooted in his grace working in your life. They're rooted in something else. And so then we're not experiencing freedom. How many of y'all experience that in life? You're like, God, I, I know I'm supposed to be free. There are certain battles that you can overcome, even though you wrestle with the flesh every day. It doesn't mean you won't wrestle with the flesh every single day, but it means is that one step at a time, you've been given what you need to overcome those daily battles. But if we don't let Jesus work in these dark areas and bring them forward, then we're not going to experience aspects of the freedom for which Christ called us. And so here's what I, I think it's, it's many of us have experienced this, but we're still trying to find our strength, identity, and well-being in some old ways of the flesh. And this is what Paul jumps in. He gives two simple points for this. He says, one thing, two verses. You've got to understand victorious living. If you are going to begin to understand the fullness of this freedom, you got to understand victorious living. Look what he says. He says in chapter 6, verse 11, he says, the strength that you had that you need to rely on, he says, now put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. So the only way that you are going to stand against the schemes of the devil is to put on the whole armor. It's pretty simple, isn't it? The only way you're going to stand against all these schemes that we've talked about is to simply put on the full armor of God. He said that, that strength that Paul was talking about in verse 10 where he says, be strengthened by the Lord in the power of his might. He says the way for you to express and live out that, that resurrected ascension strength that is above all power is to simply put on the full armor. The way you will, some of you are like, what does that mean like to, to rely on he's going to pour his power toward us? He says he's already done it in Christ, and he says, now I need you to put the armor on. Put the whole armor on. It's interesting. He's, in other words, he says, look, put on what God has already provided for you. So I'm trying to make it up. Put on what God has already provided for you. And he says, notice how he didn't say put on whatever piece you feel like putting on that morning. I think I just need this helmet. I think I just need this aspect. I, I think I just need this. Uh, I listened to a podcast, so I'm not going to get with the people of God today. I, I, I think I'm just going to do this. Like what, what happens is we, we pick and choose, oftentimes, the armor we think we need. And, God, and Paul said, look, there's a reason that he's telling the church to put on the full armor. Because if you don't put on the full armor, you're going to have a hard time standing against the schemes of the one who's trying to knock you down. And so it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's, um, you won't be able to stand if you only think what you need to engage the battle you perceive to be. So look, let me give an example here. Remember David and Goliath, right? Great example of this. David had been an overcomer as a shepherd based on his dependence on the Lord, right? So you remember David, David, young man, unassuming, no one thought any of him. He was just out faithfully taking care of his dad's sheep. And what David did is David learned a sense of dependence in such a way where he learned to use his slingshot. He learned to use the armor that God had given him for that season. And it was all rooted and built upon him learning to depend upon the Lord. So as he depended upon the Lord, he was able to fight off lions and bears. Here's the interesting thing. David goes up to the front line, someone who had learned the dependence upon the Lord, learned what God is able to do to overcome the battle. He comes up to the lines, and all the military of Israel is scared of this giant called Goliath, who's taunting the armies of God and making, a, a, making fun of the God of heaven and earth. And, and so David comes up, he's like, wait, hold up. Like, these two, he's an uncircumcised, he's not even, he, he's not under the covering of Yahweh. And he's mocking Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, that I've learned to depend upon. So he says, we got to go after him. Here's what he does. He gets ready and says, I'll, I'll take Goliath. But y'all, if you know the story, what does Saul do? He comes up and Saul tries to give him his armor. As Saul gives him his armor, it's interesting, Saul's armor was not rooted in, de in dependence on the Lord, was it? Saul took the armor he thought he needed to fight the battle. And as he did that, the problem was he knew this is how you humanly fight battles. 
if I give David my armor, then maybe he'll have a better chance of winning. But what he's missing is he's using a human solution. And David says, I don't need a human solution. I need to be dependent upon the Lord and let my armor be rooted in dependence upon the Lord. See, sometimes when we pick and choose what we want, we're not dependent on the Lord. We're thinking, if I could just get a human solution to deal with this stronghold and deal with this dynamic, then maybe I can overcome. And God is saying, no, no, the problem is you pick and choose and you don't obey the full armor uh, demand, c- command because you still think that you can win this on your own strength. What pieces of armor are you taking to fight the most difficult battles you have right now? Are you fighting in isolation? Are you fighting in shame? Are you fighting in fear? Are you fighting in guilt? And God is inviting and saying, I've provided everything you need in Jesus to give you the armor that you need to be, to be an overcomer. That's what he's, that's what he's getting at. And so he, he gets on and he says, like, like saw much of us, we need to consider what areas are we dependent upon a human agenda And so we tell Jesus things like this. I don't really need that part of the armor. Here's some things, and maybe you can resonate with some of these. I've had to work through these. It doesn't take all that to win the battle, Jesus. I I don't need to read the scriptures. I don't really need to gather to pray with the saints. I don't need to confess that sin. I don't think that part of the Bible in gathering with God's people is really that important. I don't, I, the exclusivity, exclusivity of Jesus, we don't just need that. We'll just add him to the pantheon of other, other, uh, other savior complexes. Uh, or sharing Christ with others. That's optional, right? What of those can you resonate with? These are part of what God is saying. I'm calling you to live out your union in chapter 4 through 6. And that's how you advance the kingdom. That's how you see light penetrate darkness. And I think we got to really do an honest evaluation about what piece of the armor I say I don't need to participate in. Because that's, that, that's an area of human dependence that God is saying, I need, you to, I need you to repent of that. And I need you to experience what I've given you for your victory. Because that won't work. So he says, if you neglect the armor in Christ you are called to put on, then you will get hit and functionally not experience being an overcomer. And that's what he said, the overcomer is not just one who is no longer in the struggle. When we think overcomer, we're like, okay, I won't be an overcomer until I'm out of the struggle. But see, an overcomer is one who realizes these battles won't stop. Does that make sense? Like, you don't overcome when you no longer have battles sometimes when you see, and not all the time, but oftentimes when you see a less intensification of spiritual warfare, it might be that you have retreated from the front lines. And you're now beginning to say, let me just kind of live my life in my own abilities and strengths. And God is saying, no, he's like, come to the front lines like David did and begin to learn dependence upon what I've done in Jesus Christ to give you everything you need. I've given you the full armor you need to be victorious. And so he says, he says, it is a daily, an overcomer is saying, I'm going to take one step at a time. I'm here and I'm tempted to cut corners right now. I'm tempted to look at the computer for this. I'm tempted to look back into my old catalog of names because I'm lonely and give someone a call. I'm tempted to say, if I can just compromise this area of work, maybe I'll get a promotion. These are small, everyday decisions. My kid has gotten on my last nerve. I'm really tempted to use the anger of man to accomplish God's righteousness, in my understanding. Make sense? We're all, all these little things. And the overcomer begins to say, Jesus, you've given me what I need. So if I can just trust you and learn to put on the full armor, which we'll talk about the rest of the series, then I'm taking that next step. When you're tempted to do something you know Jesus ain't calling you to, and you take that next step of obedience, you're an overcomer. Does that make sense? That's good right there. Like, y'all, that's good. You got it. Like, you got to get that in your mind. Being an overcomer is taking one step of obedience in the power and dependency upon the risen Savior to overcome the flesh, the world, and the enemy. 
And that's important. And then he finalizes, he says in verse 12, he says, not only do you need to understand your victory and walking in that one step at a time with the strength of Christ, but here's what he says. Put on all the armor. Then he says, you've got to understand the opposition, is what he says in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. He says, so look, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, as we've alluded to, the battle's not a human battle, is it? <laughs> he says, your struggle is not a human struggle. So your human armor and self-dependency won't work. He says, you cannot wage this on your own strength. You need to know the opposition so you know why you need all the battle, all the battle gear, all of Christ's armor. You, you need to know that. Look what he says. You've got to be aware. You've got to understand the opposition or else we minimize the type of uh, armor that we think we need. Look at in, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, uh, Paul says, we're not unaware of Satan's schemes. You've got to be aware of Satan's schemes, how he's going to come against the people of God to seek to distort the image of God from going and being good news to our world. Okay? So he says, here's what he's looking at. In 1 Peter, there's three books. There's, there's many books. I want to highlight at least three books and the emphasis of spiritual warfare in them. Real quick, look at 1 Peter. It says in 1 Peter, he's writing to a people that are going through intense persecution as Christians. Okay? He says... The summary of that is spiritual warfare is how the flesh and Satan are prone to be alive in discouraging you from enduring the difficult trials of your life. Okay? In other words, here's what comes in. When you're going through difficult times and you know God has given you the grace and endurance and forming you, here's where the enemy comes and he says, there's an easier way. God's not being good to you right now. He comes alongside and he tries to take persecution and use that to discourage you to get off faith. That's what he did. He just always does that. You've got to be aware of that scheme. When you're going through difficult times, he's saying, give up, give in. God wouldn't give you that if you didn't do this. He says, don't endure anymore. That's what he's going after. So, so warfare comes at you like that. He deceptively comes in like that. The book of James Spiritual warfare can be seen in the temptation to function in the flesh, stained by the world, and influenced in the ways of the world out of the passion of the flesh. In other words, it's like this. It's boasting about life that you are your own boss. I'm functioning my own boss. I make, that's why he says in James, he says, he says, man, who are you saying you're going to go to this town and make this business deal? He says, man, but if the Lord wills that... You should be recognizing if the Lord wills that, you will go to this town and make this business deal. See, he's not against planning and stewarding. We have to do that. But he's against an arrogant notion that says, I make the decisions in my life. And it's rooted in being stained by the world. It's rooted in being stained by boss mode mentality. I'm the boss. I'm telling you, the temptation in a city is saying, what I'm doing is not enough. Y'all, I'm just telling you, what you are doing right now, if you are walking in the light of Jesus Christ, and I'm speaking to myself, what you are doing is what God called you to steward in this season. You will have the ways of the world that we all love Instagram or we love to post stuff and not opposed to posting it because I post stuff on it. But you're going to get in and you're going to fall to the comparison trap. What I'm doing is not enough. And you're like, and you start saying, hey, man, like if I just got on my boss mode, then maybe I could be significant. <laughs> Does that make sense? You're going to feel that. You're going to feel what I'm doing is not enough. And you've got to discern is that demonic? Is that of the world? And how is it enticing your flesh? They say, if only I could get higher and doing this, then maybe the world will love me. And then when I get to this place, well, I don't do that, or I don't do this, or I don't associate that person, I do this. And all of a sudden, you have forgotten what God has called you to. That's why I think in some degree, it's so hard to have a multi-economic church. Because when you make it and you get the money, you're like, I want to associate with people that can help me make more. That's what James is about. He's saying be careful of how you give preferential treatment to the rich in the front seats. 
That's stain of the world. You've got to be aware of that. As it says, beware of how the enemy creeps in and, and is going to, going to try to discourage you from what you're doing when you walk in the light is exactly what God called you to steward. Steward it well, church. We want to steward what God has called us in this season of the church plant well. I want you to steward what God has put in your individual lives in this season well. Don't compromise or give up in the difficult times that God has you on. Do it in community for encouragement. And he says the Ephesians, in this one, spiritual warfare can be seen in deception. Oh, he says, watch out for the influence of deceptive desires that come up. And then he says, beware of the deceptive teachings or the doctrines of demons that lead you away from the sufficiency of Christ. People that come in and say, Jesus is not enough. You have to add this. You have to do this. You, you have to recite this. You have to do this. And, and, and what it's doing is saying, Jesus is not enough for your forgiveness and for your standing among the people of God. He says, watch out for that. But then he also says, division. He says, letting anger turn into bitterness and unhealthy division. Letting unresolved conflict go unresolved. And then before you know it, we find ourselves drifting away from the people of God. And God is saying, he's saying, watch out because the enemy is going to try to, to put in some work on that anger. See that? And then, oh, yeah, see, you, you're right. You're right. They were wrong. They were wrong. And you ain't talked to them yet. But the enemy's like, you're right. See, you're right. And the flesh is like, yeah, I am right because I've had all this experience in doing this and this. And, yeah, they're wrong. And then, and then as you stew in it more and more, you're like, how could they ever think about something like that? They're so off. And then we're like, oh. And then we start making assumptions for what they really think and what their motives are. Y'all been there? And the enemy's just throwing you ammunition. Here you go. Here you go. Here's some more ammunition. And, and we're just, our flesh is just going at it. Like we're feeding on it and we're loving it. And, and the world is telling us, yeah, 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 yeah. That's how you make it. That's how you fight fair. That's how you do it. And before you know it, we're like this against one another. We're disunited. We haven't dealt with the real issues because we let the enemy get a foothold. Church, the way that we contend for the faith is every single one of us are being aware of the schemes of the enemy with our deception and division outside of Christ producing that. So this is where Satan is seeking to put a full-on court, a full-court press through deception to get you to walk in the flesh and display and be complicit with the world of darkness, thereby reflecting his image not Christ's image. And so he says, rather, I want you, church, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, created according to God's likeness. He will seek to hinder your faith and repentance. He will seek to come at you in that. Here's what he says. He says, while you're being aware of these schemes and this deception, he says, I'm laying this out to let y'all know that this stuff is beyond your own strength. I hope you hear me repeating that over and over and over in this series. It's beyond your own strength. He says, since it's not merely against humans, why do we tend to creep into fighting a spiritual battle with human tools? Why do we tend to do that? And he says, in other words, you can't take these tools and use them for your own benefit and your own strength. It is impossible. Here's what happens oftentimes. As we say, okay, these are the tools, these are the principles, and the world things like this. If I apply these principles, then maybe I can allow this to happen, but it's really trying to get what you, done what you want to do. Here's the problem with that. Outside of Christ and your union in Jesus, this armor means nothing in relation to the battle. See, here's the thing. Jesus is the one who fully wore this armor we're going to talk about. It's the, it's the armor of the Messiah. So the only way to access the armor and the way that actually fights the battle is to be in Jesus. If you're walking the light with Jesus, with the Messiah, then all of a sudden you then have access to the armor. The problem is when we're walking in the flesh... We're not walking in the power of the Spirit. We're not contending for the faith. We then begin to say, let me grab the biblical principles to accomplish what I want. This is what is so, so crazy and heretical about the prosperity gospel. We will, it will use, use different Bible bullets 
to endorse a thing that says it is your God-given right to be rich and wealthy on this side of eternity. That's heresy to the highest degree. And it's destroying because it's always at the expense of the poor and it, gives, it pads the pockets of the rich because it's stained by the world that we see where the rich get richer and the poor get poor. And we use these demonic ways of taking the Bible and endorsing our opinion. Shame on us. God help us. This is the kind of stuff where he says, it's, it's like, he says, outside of Christ, the armor means nothing in relation to the battle. Why? Because you're just using the armor to endorse the stain of the world. Let me advance Satan's deceptive schemes by using the Bible. Why? Because Satan did that. Matthew chapter 4. Are you tracking? It makes sense. He used the word of God as a Bible bullet nugget to endorse his demonic dark domain. So he says, look, be aware of that. Come in Jesus. All the armor you need is found foundationally in your union with Jesus. Be in him. It's kind of like this. It's like a shopping cart. Y'all know you go outside a store and you got a shopping cart. Y'all ever been to that point when you're going around and it's smooth, especially some of those new Target carts? I'm like, whoa, these things are smooth. Especially by USC. I was like, how are these things so smooth right now? But you go to the point, and what happens when you hit a certain line? Shut down. And you're sitting there with a car. Y'all ever tried that before? And you're like, let me lift up the front one, and I'm trying to get it to my car. And, and you're like, you're trying to push it and jam it. And what's happened is you're getting frustrated. Because here's the thing. You took the cart outside of the sphere it was supposed to function appropriately. And that's what we do is we, we, we go and we're like, so when we try to use the armor and do battle in the flesh, according to the stain of the world or of the enemy or of the world systems, of any of that stuff, when we try to access this armor that is guaranteed in Jesus to fight the battle, we will lose because we've already lost because we're trying to advance an agenda that is not of the Lord. And all of a sudden the, the thing's like, it's not working. Why is this not working? And sometimes the Lord is saying, sometimes I'm calling you to faith and repentance repentance and start depending on me in that area of your life. What area of life is God calling you towards dependence? Where are you struggling with depending that Christ's union that you have with him is enough for you? Where is that in your life? And God is calling you to say time to put on the full armor. Put on the full armor. Because when you put on the full armor, here's what you begin to do. First Peter says, he says, while you suffer, continue to entrust yourself to a faithful creator while doing good. God, I'm going to keep doing good. I'm going to trust myself into your care while I'm doing good. I'm going to do good by your grace, even though it's not working out. I'm going to keep doing good because I'm trusting you that you're working your plan out. He says, then you submit to his ultimate authority. You entrust yourself to his just judgment. And you humble yourself under his mighty hand, and he will exalt you in time. That's what, he, that's what he arms the early church to do that's being persecuted. Then to James, he says, when you are in Christ and, and putting on the full armor, not cutting shortcuts, but you're putting it on, he says, then you war against the flesh, the world, and the devil by humbling yourselves under God's mighty hand. You submit to God, you're resisting the devil, and you're drawing near to God. Ephesians, when you're putting this on, you're putting on this full armor, he says, to war against the flesh, the world, and the devil, you don't give the devil an opportunity to breed division in church. You're monitoring that in the church. You, don't, you, you expose darkness with the light, not with your agenda. You redeem the time in what you do. You maximize your time according to God's way. And then you're filled with the Spirit of God. You see, the armor was worn by Jesus because he gives us the power to overcome this complex battle. Are you in Christ today? I think as we reflect and pray and prepare for um, to pray here and consider this. I fear sometimes we're playing too much. And I think what happens is that what there's, there's non-gospel, consumerist, and preferential treatment that we're more concerned with than when we see people dying on our streets 
and being led astray by doctrines of demons. And as, 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 as I can testify to, there's a lot of preferences that I would desire in life right now. What preferences do you desire that you're more concerned with than the doctrines of demons on a corner of Crenshaw and Slauson, uh, Crenshaw King, that are leading many astray? When we, when we see the one laid out who lost the home because it's too expensive and, and strung out and addiction is rampant, like, what do I do? Where's my concern? Am I concerned with, with the battle that is before me that says people are trapped in bondage? Or do I want to live my nice, comfortable, preferential life? We follow Jesus' call to plant a church, not because we want to live a comfortable life. I could have gone and pastored another church in the East Coast or the West. But that's not what Jesus called us to. Many of y'all have high callings. And I praise God that you follow Jesus to sacrifice. To say, Jesus, what does it look like for me to be so engaged with the victory of Jesus that says, I'm willing to go and put those things above my preferences. I'm willing to have some stick in there-ness in the church to experience what God desires to put on display. Where are we in relation to that today? Does the brokenness around us hurt us? Does compassion well up? When it doesn't in my life, I find that I have to say, Jesus, I'm depending on my own strategy. And I've been there a lot in this church plant. Fatima and I have been there. We've talked about it. We've been there as a church. And today I think we need to really look under the, the hood and saying, are we concerned about just preferential things or going after the broken? The least, the lost, the last. Are we going after those that are in bondage? Are we sharing life together to see victory practically in our lives? That's my prayer for us, is that God would give us such passion and compassion through dependence upon him.